So as we talk tonight, let's keep in mind everything that we have talked about so far. And remember, this is our fourth week talking about evangelism. The first week, we asked the big main question, if God is sovereign, why is evangelism necessary? Which I think is a very significant question to ask. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that God is sovereign, but then the Bible also clearly teaches that humans have a responsibility. Does a high view of God's sovereignty necessarily produce a low view of man's responsibility? Of course, the answer to that is no, and we looked at that in some detail. The second week, we asked, what is evangelism? That is, what is the content of evangelism? We talked about that word, euangelizo, that is to communicate the good news. We talked about the substance of the gospel, which is creation, fall, redemption, glorification. At least that's, our, that's one way that we can understand the full encompassing uh, gospel. Last week, we asked the question, how does evangelism work? We looked at a biblical theology of how evangelism works. Basically, the sum of that is that God has chosen to use us speaking the gospel to save. That is, how is someone saved unless someone is sent to preach? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the method that has been chosen by God to save. So we concluded then, if that is God's method, then we should have confidence in that. So we can share the gospel, trusting and knowing that God has chosen to use that to save. So we can uh, preach the gospel and know and have confidence. Why should we evangelize? Why should we practice evangelism? We mentioned three things last week. Because it's a command, so we should do it. We should do it out of compassion, that we're compelled to do it because we want people to be saved. And then third, out of conformity, that as we share the gospel of Christ, it actually impacts other believers because communicating the good news to others is not just for the lost. And we've talked about that as well. Okay, so question tonight then. What is my role in evangelism? When I say my, I don't mean my, I mean my. Right, we're reading this question for ourselves, okay? You're asking the question, what is my role in evangelism? If God is sovereign, he's going to save whoever he wants to save, and yet faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Then, So what are we actually supposed to do? I think that's a good question. Practically speaking, what should we do to be faithful to the command of evangelizing? And I just want to look at really three things tonight. And we have some scripture to go along with that, so if you have your Bible... Uh, we're going to turn to these couple of passages. The first thing I want to suggest that we do, practically speaking, with evangelism, is first of all, to practice and also prepare, or practice and preparation. Practice and preparation. Let's read a few passages here and kind of see what I mean. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. It's the first passage I want to read. It says, About this we have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers, and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who loves milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. 
But solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so the author of Hebrews here is telling us that there's a group of people meeting together, and he's, he's writing to them, and he's saying, I, you know, I, I have much to say about this. I, I feel like that often. I have much to say. I do. But I will, I will limit it. Uh, but we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because sometimes you become dull of hearing. And so this is what the author is saying to his, to his audience. You become dull of hearing. For by this time, because of all the things that I've said to you so far, you should be teachers by now. But you're not teachers. You're actually still infants. And you need yet again to be taught the basic principles of the oracles of God. And he said, but solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained. How? By constant practice. By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the first practice that we're talking about is not practice and, hey, can I, uh, can I share the gospel with you to practice? That's not the kind of practice we're talking about right now. The practice we're talking about is the practice of godliness. Maturity in Christ. Practice. Are you in the habit of practicing, training yourself to distinguish good from evil? Are you doing that every day? Are you practicing it? Is this good or is this, is this not good? I can't make a decision here, so let me test it by the word of God, by prayer. Because by practice and constantly doing that, you're not going to have to go through that evaluation every time because now you kind of understand that principle and now I don't have to go back and evaluate it. I get it now and that's how maturity works. Is that now I understand that. You don't even have to explain that situation to me. I get it, okay? And you kind of move beyond that. That's maturity. But if every time a situation comes up in your life, you're like, I don't know. That's, you, need, you need the basic principles of God again? You need to practice. Practice godliness. That's the first kind of practice. But there is that second kind of practice here uh, that, that I want to look at. And I'm kind of pairing it with the idea of, of being prepared. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. So the first kind of practice we need is just practice in godliness. How are you to share the gospel with someone if you're not living the gospel on a daily basis? best way to get to know something is by actually being in it and experiencing it and doing it. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no, fe <coughs> Excuse me. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And here it is. Always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Don't stop there. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So here's a different kind of way that we need to be prepared for the gospel is that just like Kevin had a situation he was sharing the gospel with someone and what popped up. Um, someone asking a question about some kind of world religion here and Kevin said, I tried to the best I could the way that I understand it, explain this. Uh, it's because I know from knowing Kevin that he has taken the time to study those things. I know that he has, because we talk about it. He's being prepared against what the world has to offer and how people think, how they comprehend the world, to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you. What is the hope that is in us? Christ, the gospel. Are you prepared? 
Are you prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you? You should be. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, I give that to you to say this. We're doing this for the sake of honoring the Lord. Because we know that no argument has ever won someone to Christ. Right? No amount of knowledge, no amount of, I, you know, I got you, you know, I trapped you in a corner. Um, that's never won anyone to Christ. But can God use that information by His Spirit to stir their heart to understanding? Absolutely yes. And when we see things such as 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, that says, always be prepared to give a, def a defense for anyone who asks for the hope that's in you, anyone. Now, remember Paul on Mars Hill? And when he went and he looked at all the altars and he saw one to an unknown God. And then do you know what he did? Is he actually quoted from one of their own philosophers. How did he know the pagan philosopher? Because he, 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 he knew it himself. He was a trained Jew, but yet he knew pagan philosophy. Pretty amazing. He was prepared. He was prepared to give a defense for the gospel. And that's how we're called to be. You're not called to be brilliant. Some of you in this room are brilliant. I'm not one of them, but some of you are. But you know what? That's not your calling. Your calling is to be prepared according to how God has made you. Are you putting effort into being prepared? Commit that work to the Lord. All right? Commit that work to the Lord and whatever that looks like for you. You know, a kid being prepared to give a defense for the gospel is much different than someone in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s or whatever being prepared. You know how that's different? Because you're on a different level. You're on a different plane. But it looks different, doesn't it, for each one of us to be prepared? But we should be. Um, I want to say this, too. Uh, remember that people are always watching you. Remember that no matter where you are, you're in the drive-thru at McDonald's, you're at the bank, you're at work, your job, wherever you are, people are watching you. All the time, people are watching you. And I just want to say a couple, of, I just want to quote a couple of passages here about that. I'm not going to say too much about it, but I just want to read these passages as a reminder. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm talking about our conduct in the midst of those who do not know Christ. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, believers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket or a stand. It gives, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think we learned that when we were kids, didn't we? The little light of mine thing? Put it, on, yeah, put it under a bush. Oh, no! Yeah. I did the Satan sit on attack one and everything. But, you know, that this concept, though, is very true. And it's not just for kids here. It's for us. If we are the light of the world, the question is, are you shining so that others see you as the light of the world? Or do, are you, do you just look just like them? 
we should look visibly different than the world that we live in. Do you? People are always watching. Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That, that's just worth repeating. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We all need to absorb that one. Do all things. I used to have that as the wallpaper on my phone. Do all things without grumbling or disputing because don't we love to grumble and dispute about stuff? Yes, we do. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So there we are. We are children of God without blemish and we live in a crooked generation. So let's be different than them. Let's be different than the world among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life. And as Paul says, that I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So we should be different than the world. So just be, be reminded that people are always watching you. The look on your face, the tone of your voice, the way you treat your kids or the way you treat your spouse, people are watching and what you are doing is giving them the gospel in everything you do. In everything you do you are showing them the gospel whether you realize it or not. Because you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but yet I'm going to go off the handle at this person who got my order wrong at McDonald's. I'm not going to be gracious to them, I'm not going to care about them. So you're not going to be like Christ to the world. You're not going to be different than the world. So what does that do for the gospel? All right, let's look at the second thing. Patience and perseverance. Our command is to evangelize, not to save. Our command is to evangelize, not to save. I'm sure you've all heard the stories of the foreign missionaries who dedicate their life overseas somewhere, and they do all this work for their whole life, and yet they never see, never see even one conversion to Christ. You've heard these stories? Never. Were they faithful to the command to evangelize, assuming that that's what they were doing, right? Were they faithful to the command to evangelize? Yes. They're sharing the gospel with the nations, but no one ever came to Christ out of their particular, in their lifetime. So did they fail? If you share the gospel with someone and they don't come to Christ, did you fail? You share the gospel with someone for 20 years, they don't come to Christ, did you fail? 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8, What then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Okay, so the other thing that we really need to be reminded of is that we shouldn't become disheartened, or um, whatever that might mean for you, that you just want to give up when you don't see people come to Christ. I'll be honest, I have struggled with this in my personal ministry. Where are the salvations? Have I got the gospel wrong? I think the answer is no. Am I perfect in my delivery? No. No but that's not what I'm called to. I'm not called to perfection. And neither are you. 
We are called to be faithful to the gospel and to proclaim it, to evangelize the world. But we are not responsible to save. We are not. Sometimes I think we hold ourselves accountable. I just did, ah, I didn't, people come to me and they say, ah, I just messed it up terribly. I didn't have an answer for that. I didn't give them that. Is, is that what it's about? If you did have an answer, do you think you would have saved them? So we don't need to be so concerned about those little details. What, what we're concerned with is sharing the gospel. The Lord uses that to save. I'm not talking about perfection here. The way I share the gospel with people is probably different than everybody in this room. The way you share the gospel with people is probably different. It's, it, it looks different. It sounds different. But do you know what it has as the core? Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The forgiveness of sins, atonement. But you know what it has that in common, doesn't it? Faith in Jesus Christ has that in common. We're splitting hairs, I, I think, if we get into the details of how exactly we should do it. We're called to share the gospel. I, ju I just wanted to give you these, these references here about being disheartened because there's someone here I'm going to read I'm about, about, about Paul. Now, Paul was a great evangelist, was he not? Wouldn't we say that he was? Listen to how Paul talks about his experiences in sharing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Now, stop right there. He says, a wide door for effective work has opened for me, so I'm going to stay here and do it. What is the work that Paul does? Sharing the gospel with people. So effective work means there's lots of people to share the gospel with, and people are listening to me. But then the second part of that is, and there are many adversaries. So there's, there's lots of people to share the gospel with, but there are many people who are against me. Okay, so in sharing the gospel, you're going to have adversaries as well. And you're not alone in that. People will not be your friend anymore, potentially, if you hang on so closely to this gospel of Jesus Christ. Another one. I have, you know, I'll, I'll be honest there was a time for me that I really, I, when I read this one, 2 Timothy 1.15, I read this, and it was such a refreshing thought. I really clung to this at a particular time in my life. 2 Timothy 1.15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Now, you remember Paul spent a, deal, a great deal of his time in Asia, spreading the gospel in Asia. And then he said... After all that work, he said, and you're aware of this. I did all that work there, but all of them turned away from me. Every one of them. Did Paul fail? No. Was he doing the work of the Lord there, and yet everyone departed? Yeah. I'm glad we have uh, Paul here. One more. 2 Timothy 4, 14 through 18. He says, he names a guy by name, Alexander the coppersmith. He said, he did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be charged against them. 
Now, can you imagine if you dedicated your life to sharing the gospel and one person in particular came up and he did you great harm. He was very opposed to the message of Christ. And then no one came to his defense and everyone deserted him. And Paul's response to that is this. May it not be held accountable to those who did that to me. Amazing. He knew he was being faithful to the Lord and, and, and he stuck by that. So I say that to say this, you share the gospel with someone, they oppose it to your face, they hate you, they turn on you. Our response should be, Lord, don't hold it against them. Lord, save them. Not, well, fine, be that way. You know, that's what, well, maybe that's not what you want to do, but sometimes that's what I want to do. Well, fine, be that way. But that shouldn't be our response, right? Don't hold it against them. Of course, we remember Christ on the cross, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That should be our heart towards those who oppose us. But I just want us to be aware, there will be, when you evangelize the world, people who say that gospel that you're talking about, that Jesus is nonsense. And it could even turn militant towards you. They could hate you because of what you're saying. They don't like you as a person. And it could get physical. It has gotten physical. Many people have lost their lives because they have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what? They did it anyway. Final thing, prayer and persistence. Of course, if we're to engage in evangelism, we're doing it out of obedience. We're doing it out of compassion for the lost. We're doing it out of conformity to Christ. Yes, we're doing all of that. We understand that God is sovereign and yet man is responsible. God is going to save who he will save. He does it by his spirit. He does it through us sharing the gospel. It's all God working. And so how could we possibly engage in evangelism without praying? But if you say that God is not sovereign over salvation, then yeah, you don't really need to pray because God is at the mercy of men anyway. So we need to pray because God is not at the mercy of men, but men are at the mercy of God. And so we pray. And we are persistent in our prayer. Two passages I want to read for you. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us. What are we praying for in verse 3? Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we learned so many things about that right there. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would help us to speak the gospel clearly. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Kevin prays that when we pray at Karate, he prays that every week, Lord, give us an opportunity this week to share the gospel. He says that every, every time we meet together. And that's something we should pray for. Uh, absolutely. That's a good one. Circle that one or something. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Go back and look at that one. There's a lot in there. Philippians 4, 5 through 7, the last one. Let your reasonableness be, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be Remember, everyone, it is not just talking about believers here. The whole world. Let your reasonableness be made known to the whole world because the Lord is at hand. Therefore, we're not going to be anxious about anything. Anything. I'm not going to be anxious about anything. That's a hard one to grab hold of. I am anxious about things. But we shouldn't be anxious about anything, and we ought to make that known to the world. 
You're worried about that? Oh, what's going to happen to this? Oh, what's going to happen? I'm not concerned about it because the Lord is sovereign. The people who are unbelievers next to you, do they, do they get that about you? That everybody else around you is breaking down. But you have a calm about you. Why? Because the sovereign God of the universe, he's my father. It'll be all right. It'll be okay. That might happen. Yeah. But it's going to be okay. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. I have here a list of a few things. This is from, uh, not me, but I, I, I was reading these, uh, and I thought they were very helpful. So I, just, I, I put this list here. I'm just going to read it. Uh, and there's some passages to back this up. But how should we be praying for the lost? You have someone who's lost. You have a family member who's lost. You have coworkers who are lost. How might we pray for them? What are some things that we should, biblically speaking, how should we pray for them? And I'm just going to read these, and you can go look up these references later on. Here's what it says. Here's some ways we can pray for the lost. Pray that God would circumcise their hearts. Pray that God would give them a heart of flesh. Pray that God would put his spirit within them. Pray that they would come to Christ. Pray that God would open their hearts to believe the gospel. Pray that God would free them from, their, from the slavery of sin. Pray that God would remove Satan's binding influence in their lives. These are some great things we can pray for the lost. I thought a very good list that's helpful in us starting to pray for those who are not believers. Uh, we're gonna, if you know an evangelistic opportunity is at your door, pray. Pray. Don't rely on your own wisdom, your own knowledge, your own knowledge of the scriptures, your knowledge of theology, or lack thereof, whatever it, is, whatever it is you're relying on, it's wrong unless it's relying on God himself. We prepare, we pray, we have patience, perseverance, we rely on God for salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for teaching us. Lord, we do pray for... God, I first of all want to pray for anyone who is a regular part of Fellowship Renewed Church, who, who's, in, who's in this building often and around us, who is not a believer. We pray for them. God, we ask that you would open their hearts to understand the gospel. The gospel is being presented to them, but God, unless you do a work in their life, it will continue to hit against a wall a heart of stone, until you turn it into a heart of flesh and they come to understand. So God, we pray for their understanding of the gospel, that they would repent of their sin. God, that they would be set free from their slavery of sin. God, we pray for them. We ask that you would do that. We ask that you would help us in our daily lives with all those around us. Help us to be a witness for the gospel, that we would be evangelists, both to those who already believe and to those who do not that we would be sharing the gospel continually. The fact that man is a sinner, that you are a holy God, and that we deserve nothing but wrath from you, but instead what we have is mercy and grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. And all of the penalty for our sins was laid on him. All of your wrath was laid on him in our place. 
but he didn't stay dead, but he rose again, and now he is seated to make continual intercession for us as our high priest forever. God, and it's just by faith. It's by faith and faith alone and by your grace. God, I pray, remind us of that truth. Open our hearts to be refreshed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.